Well, we are uh, here worshiping at God through his word now at this time in our service. Um, and uh, so we're walking through the book, gospel of John here and seeing the light shine in our darkness. And so I invite you to turn to John 1. It's in the second part of your, your, uh, your Bible there, the back half. Are our kids on Wednesday night, Cynthia Palm has been leading us through uh, our kids familiarizing themselves with the Bible, learning the books of the Bible, and knowing where things are in the Bible. They're going to have Bible drill. Anybody had, did a Bible drill in the past? Anybody part of Bible drills in the past? A couple of you? Maybe we should do that sometime here. That'd be for a little bit of fun, yeah, or, or weird for some people. Okay, all right, whatever. Uh, so uh, John's in the second part of the back part of your Bible there. John chapter 1, verses uh, 14 through 18. As you're turning there here, today we're going to be talking about the glory of God, glory of Jesus. Uh, what, is that, what does it mean that the, the, to, for something to have glory? What, what, is, what is glory? And it's, if you will, it's how people are known, what, the greatness that they're known for, the greatness that somebody is known for. So I gotta, we're going to test this out. I need your help here in the congregation. We've got a few people. We need to uh, identify what, what is the greatness that they're known for. Let's jump to the first one there. Anybody know who this is? Warren Buffett. What's he known for? What, what makes him great? He's worth $103 billion. He's got a lot of money. All right? His, his glory is in his possessions. That's what people would know that he's great for. And he's not the richest person in the world. But $103 billion, that's a, that's a little bit more than what I got. All right, next one. Who's this guy? Michael Jordan. Michael, oh, we used the word goat. What does that even mean, Goat. Greatest of all time. What's he good at? Basketball, clearly. Yeah. Not baseball. Nope. He learned. He's not good at everything. But uh, basketball, he's, his, his performance is what makes him great. His ability makes him great. All right. Who, who's our next guy here, our person? Oh, anybody? Who knows this? Who's, Mother, Teresa. Mother Teresa. And what makes Mother Teresa so great? Her compassion, sacrifice, she has reputation, well precedes her of her character, right? Okay, I've got one more here for you. This is not Scott Barber before here, but this is Fabio, who's well known for his cheap butter substitutes. Or maybe possibly his golden locks of hair and flowing mane and muscular curvatures i don't know but i'm pretty sure it was for i can't believe it's not butter yes we are in church and we did go there yeah we're talking about somebody who's greater than fabio today praise the lord somebody who's greater than mother Teresa. somebody who's greater than michael jordan somebody who's greater Warren Buffett, we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about God himself. And today in God's word, we see the fullness of God's glory was displayed through Jesus. And we saw it. It's, it was visible and was seen in grace and truth. Let's go there. John 1, 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. 
John bore witness about him and cried out, This is the one of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. From his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Let's pray. Spirit, we need you to lead us through these just rich, deep truths of who you are. And as Jesus, you came to show us to reveal God in all his glory. Spirit, we need you to illuminate us. We need you to turn on the light bulb so we can see you as you really are, Jesus, and respond and not, not make you out into something to fit our own agendas, not misperceive you, Jesus, not just be calloused and just not even care. God, move in our hearts. Let us see today. Let us believe. Let us live because of your glory. In your name, amen. As we jump into these verses here in 14, it's a continuation of John's introduction, if you will. And John's very uncharacteristic. John's one of those creative types, right? They, 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 they don't like living in a box, all right? They step outside of that box and live outside that. It's a good thing. We need our creative types. And so John's introduction, prologue here, is setting things up for the rest of, of his, the, his, his book on the good news of Jesus. And, and, and he's further explaining who is this person that Jesus is. Who is he in all, all that he is? Last week we talked about him being life and light for us. That we might become children of God. And so he goes into verse 14 here. Saying the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now John goes back to using this term the word. It should take us right back to verse 1. Where he first used this term. In the beginning was the word. In this first point here, in these first verses, verse 14 especially, we're seeing that Jesus, in Jesus, we see the glory of God in the flesh. Jesus is the physical self-expression of God and his glory. The word, that, that being, if we go back to verse 1 with me here, if you've got your Bibles open, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, Everything was made through him. So we know that this, this being called the word was eternal. This being called the word was God, was divine. This being called the word created all things. He was uncreated. It was uncreated. This word became flesh and dwelt among us. It didn't cease to be what it was. It added something to it. Now, this is a big deal 2,000 years ago because, because they, they struggled to make sense of, of who Jesus was and, and how could be, there be one God and, and multiple persons. They, they really wrestled through this, the things that we might take for granted today but are so rich and important. But this being who is God, eternal, unmade, he became flesh. 
He didn't cease to be God and take and become a human being. In all his glory, he was all God and all human. And he dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. We've seen his glory. Glory is of the only son of the father. We now have a linking here. This word who became flesh is the son. It's the first connection that's now being made here for us. This one who's known as the son, who's Jesus, is the one who is God, eternal, unmade, became flesh, is the son, is Jesus. The son of man prophesied about in the, in the later prophets in the Old Testament. The son, this same one. Now, for those who are Jewish, and John's audience is primarily Jewish, they're listening to this, and there's some things that would have been triggering light bulbs in their heads going off here, that there's, there's more of an illusion that's happening here and, and significance that's popping out to them. You see, the word dwelt here would have been referred to tabernacle. Now, for some of you who have been in the church and growing up in the church, you've heard that term, like tabernacle, tabernacle. Where have I heard? Old Testament, Moses. For those of you who are newer to Jesus or, or, or this church thing, uh, the tabernacle was this special place of worship, kind of like this church building, that, that, that God's people were, were instructed to create and build, and it was constructed in a way that God would come and meet with his people. And it, it was in the place that there would be sacrifices that were made in order to, for God's people to be right with him. And so the little kiddos with... You can imagine the Jewish kiddos at that time growing up, they had their flannel graph, right? Okay, you remember those things? 2,000 years ago, flannel graph, and they had their little, you know, Moses person up here and their little tent. And then, and then, and then they, they're, they're being told about these stories of how the one true God tabernacled, dwelt with his people by cloud. By a cloud, he would descend and he would meet with the, the priests and the leaders. He would meet with Moses. The, this God, the one creator God, who, who is unembodied. He has no physical thing to contain him. He would show himself in physical ways. This came to be known as, and, and some of you who have been in the church will remember this word or, or it will trigger you, Shekinah. The Shekinah, the glory, was manifested, physically displayed in front of all people. So you got your flannel graph here, right? And you got Moses and your tabernacle. And you've got the cloud above the tabernacle. And the kids are going, ooh. John is wanting us to go, ooh. God tabernacled in the flesh. He took on human flesh. And he dwelt among us, meaning he did life among us, meaning he shared in our experience as a human being and the suffering and the struggles, temptation to sin, though he was perfect and did not sin. Dwelling among us, be doing life with us. He was tangible. We could feel his love. You could hear his breath. 
You could see him, touch him, feel him. God became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen. Now, John is talking at two levels here. We've seen his glory. It was physical. It was tangible. God being fully human, fully, fully God. We've seen, but not everybody saw, did they? They experienced him. He did miracles that were undeniably divine. And they saw with physical eyes, but they didn't see that he was the word in the flesh. We have the word about the word so that we might see. Friends, be praying that today we might see. We might see his glory. We might see him as he is. Not as we want him to be. Not, not, not blinded because of Satan's work. And so he says we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. What is that glory? How did it emanate Like rays from the sun, how did it emanate that glory come out toward us full of grace and truth? The glory of God is seen. Jesus displays the fullness of God's glory through grace and truth. What What does this mean here? Through grace and truth. This for the Jewish listeners, would also cause them to be, to be triggered, if you will, of stories again, of, uh, 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 of hearing from the rabbis, of Moses talking to God and saying, show me your glory. Show me your glory, God. There, there was a moment in which God had sold, told Moses that they were going to have to move. And he said, God, God, if your glory doesn't go with us, then we will not last. And, and, and he tells God, he asks God, he makes a bold ask, please show me your glory. And so on our flannel graph here for our 2,000 years ago, our Jewish little kiddos, we've got Moses talking to God. And we've got God telling him, I'm going to have to put you in a rock. And you're not going to be able to see me in all my glory. I'm going to pass by. And you're going to to be able to see part of my glory. Because it's too much for you to take in. But this is, here it is. What Jesus, what God says. Describing it. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on who I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God's glory is supremely his goodness. As D.A. Carson puts it. God's glory is supremely his goodness. God would go on to say, I am a gracious and compassionate God. This is Exodus 33 and 34, for those of you who'd like to go and look it up. I'm a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, showing mercy and steadfast love for generation to generation to generation. 
It's from this phrase, grace and truth comes. Grace and truth. God is gracious in that he is immensely loving. He's so good. And those who, who anticipated the Son of Man coming... And from the, from the prophecies that foretold that, that the Son of Man would come, and He would come, and He would come, and there would be judgment. Those were the main images that they had, and what they expected of the Messiah coming and bring judgment and deliberate God's people from the oppressors, from the enemies, and He was going to slay them. All the wrongdoers would be judged. But how did Jesus come? I did not come to condemn but to save. For God so loved the world, John says and records, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. There will be judgment, but he came to show mercy. God is right. He could bring judgment at any point in time, but he showed us his glory in his grace and goodness, in his forgiveness. And his kindness towards us. Grace and truth. The truth meaning oftentimes when, we're, when, when truth gets brought up in Christian circles. And we're going for, when we're standing on the truth. We're, we're talking about right or wrong. But it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that. It's a little bit bigger than that. Truth is a person. Truth is God himself. Truth is a revelation of who God is. Truth is a revelation of who we are because we are made by God. Truth is, how are we to relate with this God for which we exist? We too easily run to reducing truth to right and wrong or judgment. Truth is so much more than that because the truth is a person. What does Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. We cannot reduce the truth to mere principles or doctrine, and it doesn't mean that doctrine isn't important and that doctrine doesn't come from the truth. But it's not it. He's full of grace and truth. Who God is, who we are, how we relate with him. And there are real consequences. Because he is a holy God, a loving God. And there are right ways to relate with him. And there is justice because he's a loving God and a holy God. But he, Jesus, being full of grace and truth, is it 50% grace and 50% truth? He's 100% grace, 100% truth. He's full. He isn't one at one time and one at the other time. He's full of grace and truth. He doesn't compromise himself in the love that he shows us in the kindness. He never compromises his standards. John goes on explaining in verse 16, and from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. These words are so profound and beautiful and they're complex. There's more going on here. And I can just tell you, I'm going to let you guys know, we're going to go a little bit long, okay? All right, bear with me here. Grace upon grace here. There is the connecting word between these two words, grace, that, that, that throws some people for a loop. It normally means instead of. 
grace instead of grace. Which is a little bit confusing. But this, this, this preposition here has flexibility and can be used in a variety of different ways. One, is, one, one way that this has been interpreted is that from his fullness, the fullness of being God, being full of grace and truth, we've received grace upon grace, grace for grace, or grace on top of grace. There is this idea that, that we have his grace isn't just enough but is abounding over and over. It doesn't, isn't grace that just fills our cup to meet our need and just fills it to the brim and, and that we have nothing left. It's more than that. It's grace that, that just keeps going. It's grace that pours over and overflows. It's grace that you cannot outrun or outdo. It is grace upon grace upon grace for you and for me. Unending. When you've thought you've You've sinned too much. When you thought it is, it is just way too much. You thought that he can't love you. There's more. When you thought you've known that you can't get any deeper and richer in your understanding of him and his goodness. There's more. There's more. Don't get comfortable, friends. I believe this is true. And like John, John, John leaves things in complexity. There's multiple layers of meaning in, in these deep truths that he gives us. And the other meaning that, that, that is believed here in taking straight forward this preposition, grace instead of grace, is linking it to the next verse here with Moses. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. We have a comparison here, right? That the, that the law that came through Moses, we go to the Old Testament, he was given this law with all these rules and everything that have to follow and do this and don't do that. And if you, if you, fall, if you break this law, you get stoned and killed. And, ooh, that sounds pretty crazy and serious. That law was actually a grace. It was given as a way for God's people to relate with the holy God. It was not perfect. It was not intended to be that way. It was not intended to satisfy God's justice and holiness. But it was temporarily looking forward to Jesus. The fullness of grace and truth. It was a means of grace that that, that the people could relate with the holy God. The sacrifices that were necessary because sin deserves death. It allowed God's people to be with him and the other nations to come in through Israel, following the law and worship the one true God and be in relationship with him. But that was just a shadow. The real thing has come through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth through, through Jesus this grace that is greater than that previous grace. This grace that is so much more profound and more powerful, more complete. That grace that changes us. That just doesn't temporarily fix things and put a band-aid on it. But makes us right once and for all. What our tendency is, friends, when we come to Jesus... And our problem that John is trying to help us address is let Jesus determine what you believe. Let the word of God determine what you believe about him. And don't let us fall into the trap of our sinful imposing on Jesus or God who we think he is. I need need a few young helpers, real quick. 
need a few young helpers. I need some different helpers from last week. All right, Sadie. All right, one more. One more in the back. Chase, come on up, man. All right. Hannah, you can come up too. Come on up, Hannah. All right. I got a real quick quiz here. Okay. These are some tough questions. Are you ready? Okay. Does a human being have flesh or bones? Both. Are you sure? Okay. You got that one. Ready for the next one? Am I bald or bearded? You hesitated. You sure? Okay. Not sure about the beard I'm here. All right. I need you to take a look at these coins, every, both of you, all three of you. Does it have a heads or a tails? can't get anything by these kids here y'all are y'all are smart and quick you guys can keep that gold one dollar bill for yourselves there all right thank you for your help thanks chase what do the scriptures say here friends jesus was full of what grace or truth grace or truth and and what we tend to do as human beings is reduce Jesus into or. He's full of grace. Or he's full of truth. And we tend to fall into either camp. And they both are a distortion and a false teaching of who Jesus is. Some of us fall into that truth camp. Jesus is truth and we camp on truth. And all we hear about truth, 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 truth. And oftentimes what comes out of such mouths are judgment, guilt, Because it's empty of grace. It is true, but it's not the whole truth and therefore it's false. There's another side that's full of grace, compassion and kindness and and, and, and love, if you will. What do I accept? And and Jesus loves everybody. And there's there's no judgment for any sin. There is no hell. There is no there is no consequences Truth is relative. It's whatever you want to believe, whatever you feel in the moment. And it falls on compassion to the exclusion of grace. You know, we see these playing out in our culture, don't we? Because that's sin. But Jesus came in grace and truth. His people will be characterized in grace and truth. Some of us lean towards one side or the other. Where are you at? And where do you need to let the revelation of Jesus change you and meet you? We have the tendency to project onto him and to reduce him into categories that make it simple for us. Jesus isn't simple, friends. Jesus stepped on everybody's toes. In fact, if Jesus isn't disagreeing with you, If he's not correcting you, if he's not changing you, then you're worshiping an idealized version of yourself. You're reducing his glory to something you can create. Let me share a story here. 
I need room. As you know, I like to walk around when I tell a story. John chapter 8. If you want to go ahead, you can turn there. Jesus revealing himself in grace and truth. Jesus was out about doing his ministry and he's approached by a loud and angry, screaming mob. And there, were, there was a big hustle and bustle and the dirt was being you know, kicked up in a cloud and, and they were dragging along with them a woman. She'd been caught in adultery. He dragged her out in front of everybody to see. Part of it was a test for Jesus. They wanted to test him because they believed that he was going to commit some kind of false teaching. And he dragged them out. They're yelling, they're screaming, and they all got rocks in their hands because the law says if you commit adultery, you should be stoned. And there's a bunch of noise, and they bring her to Jesus. And Jesus, this woman was caught into a, in adultery in the middle of sin, and what should be done about her? And while they're speaking, all this is going on, and Jesus just, he kneels down on the ground, and he starts to write in the dirt. He's just writing. He's in control. He's not going to give in to their control. They want an answer, judgment, truth. What does Jesus say? He tells them, Whoever among you is without sin, go ahead and throw. Go, th- go ahead and throw a stone. Slowly, one by one, drop the rock. Walk away. And Jesus had gone back down to the ground and was still riding in the dirt. All of them. Except for the woman. And he turns to the woman. And he says to her, in shame, just absolute shame. He tells her to look up. Where are your accusers? They're gone. Who is it that condemns you? No one. Neither do I. Isn't he a holy God? Isn't he a sinner? She, she sinned. Neither do I. And his next phrase is go and sin no more. He upheld his holiness and the true, the right relationship with himself, with the Father. Go and sin no more. He didn't compromise his standard. He's full of grace and truth. I love you. I forgive you. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can't out the grace of God. But he's not going to leave you there. He doesn't compromise his standard. You see, going further, his grace and truth manifested. You know why Jesus had to take on a physical body? So nails could go through his hands. So a whip could tear the flesh off his back. 
so as his side could be pierced and cut open with a spear. So that he could suffer physical death in our place. Jesus, God, the word dwelt among us and became flesh. So that in the greatest act of grace, which was his glory, which John captures throughout his glory was on the cross. All of his miracles were great, but his glory was in the cross. To show his love for you and I to take the punishment of God. Because he won't compromise himself. And he punished himself, God did, for us. John said, we've seen his glory. But we know you can't just see with physical eyes. Because thousands of people saw Jesus. And they didn't see. And they didn't understand. Jesus, full of grace and truth. And all his glory is here and now, friends. He's in our midst through the Spirit of God. We have his word to reveal himself to us. If we're going to see him, friends, if we're going to be liberated, because your joy is connected to you knowing the one true God. Your, Your hope, your freedom, your life in this life, and not just getting by living, is knowing Jesus as he is, not as we would want him to be or a projection from ourselves. Let him reveal himself to you, friends. Get in the word. Let the word reveal himself to you. Know Jesus and be changed by him. And let grace upon grace overflow you. Starts with us now. Praying. Let us humbly pray. Friends, daily, Jesus, show me your glory. I don't know you rightly. We humbly acknowledge, I don't know you. We don't have the capacity in our sinfulness to know Jesus perfectly, rightly, at any point in time in our life until we behold him in heaven. And so daily we should be praying, show me your glory. Let me see, Jesus. Let me see you in all your fullness. Not how I want to see you. In all of it. Step on my toes, Jesus. Step on my toes. That I can know you, Jesus. That I can be set free. Let me know you. Let me be loved more than I can ever imagine. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on forward. Jesus shows himself to us today. How... how Do you you side on grace, on liberalism, on liberty, on license? Do you you, you fall on the side of truth, on judgment, on right and wrong, guilt and shame? How do you need Jesus to correct your view of him and therefore your view of yourself, therefore your view of others? Surrender. 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 Jesus, we come to you now. Move in us. Change us, Lord Jesus. As we encounter you, let us see you, Jesus, for who you are, grace and truth. Jesus. Break down, Lord God, the idolatry that we've constructed out of our own idealized versions of ourselves. Break down the walls, Lord Jesus, that we've set up. 
of either or. Jesus, you are your grace and truth. You are holy and loving. Jesus, you are both and. Raise us up, Jesus. Let us see. Let us be changed by you. Let us experience this grace upon grace that's so amazing. In your name.